This is Bigger Pockets Daily, where I read evergreen articles on real estate investing so you can still learn while you're on the go. If you just found the show on this Wednesday, welcome. And please tap the subscribe button so you'll get these automatically delivered to you every day, including weekends. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Meet RentApp, the seamless, secure, free way to collect rent. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. You don't even need to download anything. RentApp setup is straightforward for renters, and there are no apps for landlords to download. Both get peace of mind with a digital transaction history. That means no more lost checks, managing a dozen different payment apps, or even wondering whether payment was sent. Landlords say RentApp is the most convenient way to collect rent, and we think you'll agree. RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Managing your finances used to be a pain. It was either useless apps or overcomplicated spreadsheets. Ugh. But now, with Monarch Money, managing your money is easier than ever. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to set up, customize, and use. You can even collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor at no extra cost to get a joint view of all your finances. Customize your dashboard, notifications, and budgets with a tap. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show right here will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash bigger for your extended 30-day free trial. How Should You Invest $50,000 in Real Estate Right Now? By Andrew Sirios. A common question on the Bigger Pockets forums goes something like this. I have $50,000 and looking to invest in real estate. How should I start? In normal times, my advice would nine times out of 10 be house hacking for a first-time investor, especially given the markedly better rates and terms homeowners can get as compared to investors. However, in the past year, that delta in loan terms has compressed substantially, and so while house hacking is still an option, it's not head and shoulders above everything else as it once was. Although, house hacking has certainly held up better than many other strategies. Indeed, if there ever was a challenging real estate market, particularly for new investors or those with 50 grand or so burning a hole in their pocket, 
this would be the one. But sitting on the sidelines has its costs too. Suzanne Woolley at Bloomberg sums up the dilemma facing investors of all stripes, but most notably real estate investors in this current market. In the short term, it may make more sense to focus on preserving capital than finding growth. But in the long run, inflation eats away at cash and leaves savers with less purchasing power. So, given this predicament, what are the best options to pursue? The Burr strategy? Mostly no. Don't get me wrong, if you find a great deal that you can buy for 75% of its market value and it cash flows with current rates, then go for it. Unfortunately, for the most part, the Burr strategy is dead. Or hibernating, to be precise. This is tough for me to say, as the Burr strategy, specifically in our case, buying with a private loan, rehabbing, renting, and then refinancing with a bank, was our absolute favorite strategy. The main problem is that virtually every lender is going to expect a property to have a 1.2 debt service coverage ratio, DSCR, or better. Namely, your net operating income, gross income minus expenses, will need to be 1.2 times the mortgage payments. Even in high cash flow markets, it's very hard to get even a 75% loan with interest rates in the sixes and sevens and prices where they're at. Furthermore, Real estate prices have started to fall. Sure, they haven't fallen much, but after skyrocketing, they are beginning to cool off. A crash is very unlikely, but so is substantial appreciation in the near future. As Bill McBride has shown, the time between one peak for CPI-adjusted real estate prices to again equal that same price after a decline has been between 6.5 and 15 years for the last three cycles. McBride predicts that in total, prices will fall 10% nominally and 25% in real terms, adjusted for inflation, from their mid-2022 peak. Opinions on this, of course, vary widely. But the general consensus is that real estate prices will likely fall, are very unlikely to go up more than a marginal amount, and even if they do go up, they will almost certainly trail inflation. McBride, for his part, believes real estate prices will be in purgatory for seven years. Yeah, I tend to agree. Therefore, you will probably need to leave a lot of money in a property and are unlikely to see a lot of appreciation in the next few years. If you have a good amount of capital or partners with cash willing to go in with you, yeah, that's one thing. And yes, if you find a great deal, go ahead and pull the trigger. But for the most part, the Burr strategy is not ideal in the current market. House hacking. Maybe I bought my personal residence in mid-2021 and got a 3% mortgage fixed for 30 years. I've heard of many people getting mortgages in the twos. I think Mark Zuckerberg set the record in this regard with a 1.05% mortgage. Unfortunately, such rates are a thing of the past. Today, mortgage rates are in the mid-sixes although that's better than the low sevens they were at during the beginning of the year. <laughs> at least we can all be thankful for small mercies. While rates are higher than normal, it's still a good thing to get your foot in the real estate investing door. And with FHA loans, you can do so with only 3.5% down, which $50,000 will cover in almost any market. Furthermore, you can buy up to a fourplex with an FHA loan, live in one unit, and rent out the other three, getting a place to live and becoming an investor at the same time. 
Even many banks will offer traditional financing up to 95% of the purchase price for homeowners. However, for the first time in my investing career, I can't unequivocally endorse house hacking for new investors or those looking to place 50 grand or so. But it's still definitely an option to consider. Before moving on, though, I should note that inflation has been cooling, so there is reason to believe that interest rates will come down later this year or even early next. So, while I'm normally a big fan of fixed-rate mortgages, this would be a time to think about adjustable-rate mortgages. No joke. Although you should still stress test your financial capacity in case rates do go up. You can really just never know with such things. Creative financing. Yes. In this regard, I'm mostly talking about subject to deals. With such deals, the property is bought subject to the existing mortgage. So, the deed is transferred to you, but the seller stays on the mortgage. There is a big opportunity here in this market, as most homeowners have great loans, and yet the market has slowed, so it's harder and can take longer to sell, although prices have only dropped a bit because very few people are motivated to sell. <laughs> and as I put in a previous article, the advantages to the buyer in this case are obvious. If you can assume a loan at 2.85% on a property, how much does the purchase price even matter? There are some disadvantages to subject to, though. For example, the bank has the right to call the loan due, although they rarely do such a thing. Another is that the buyer cannot borrow any of the money for rehab. And if there is a big discrepancy between the sales price and the loan, there's no way to bridge that gap without getting a second mortgage. But for an investor with about 50 grand to spend, that will very often do the trick and fill that gap. It should also be pointed out that seller financing is another option that buyers should consider in this market. It presents similar challenges and also similar opportunities, except for the obvious fact that virtually no homeowner is going to lend to you at 3% interest to buy their house from them. Syndications. Mostly no. Real estate syndications are usually done on larger deals where a principal party finds, negotiates, and arranges a deal and brings in investors to cover the down payment and repairs. Usually, the principal will keep about 15-35% to 35 of the equity and the passive investors get the rest. During the past few years, though, investors in syndications have made a killing as real estate prices have skyrocketed. But now, returns are lower because interest rates are higher. And, at least as of now, prices have not come down much to soothe that reduced cash flow. And as we just mentioned, there is no reason to think real estate prices are going to go up that much, if at all, in the near future. And they will almost certainly not keep pace with inflation. So, most of the advantages that real estate syndications offer are no longer there, particularly for passive investors. Of course, as with Burr, there are still some good deals around, and if the market does get messier, there may be some more motivated sellers and thereby more opportunities for really good deals, which will be worth it regardless of interest rate or potential appreciation. Yeah, that, that just hasn't come to pass yet. Private lending. Maybe. Private lenders often lend at 8 to 12% interest. Hard money lenders, typically businesses set up to lend private money to flippers, usually lend at 12 to 
with three to five points. $50,000 is generally not enough to lend to someone buying a house to flip or hold. But if you have closer to $100K or more, there could be some opportunities out there. And indeed, with interest rates in the mid-sixes, a 10% private loan doesn't sound nearly as bad to an investor as it did a year ago. <laughs> if that kind of return meets your goals, private lending is something to consider. The sidelines. Maybe. Another first for me is even considering the possibility of recommending those with 50 grand who want to start in real estate to just maybe sit on the sidelines for the time being. Time in the market beats timing the market, or at least it usually does. This market is one of the few times, few times, I would say, that it isn't that bad of a thing to sit on the sidelines for just a bit. For our part, we are focused on finishing our rehabs, increasing our occupancy, and optimizing our systems. We're not really looking to purchase much this year. Although that is in part because we had a big year in 2022 and just kind of playing a bit of catch-up. As of this podcast, the one-month U.S. Treasury bond has a 4% yield, and the six-month provides a 5% return. These were in the ones last year. So, sitting on the sideline isn't the de facto equivalent of stuffing money under your mattress as it was just not that long ago. While those returns are still below inflation and rather paltry compared to what real estate investors tend to aim for, they're a lot better than buying a mediocre deal with a high interest rate loan in a volatile and likely declining market. Ultimately, my recommendation would not be to sit on the sidelines, but I would be much more comfortable holding on for a really good deal and waiting a lot longer than I would have been last year and more so still than, say, like five years ago. In this economy in particular, you don't want to force anything. Let's wrap things up with the conclusion. This is the most confusing and challenging real estate market I've seen in my lifetime, as evidenced by this podcast. <laughs> I certainly don't envy someone looking to start right now. It's important to approach the market cautiously and not try to force a deal to happen. There will be a time for that, for certain, and the economy will, sooner or later, become more advantageous for real estate investors. Even still, there are opportunities in real estate out there for someone with 50K or so, even in this market. You just need to be a bit more careful and a lot more patient. You made it through another episode of Bigger Pockets Daily. Did you learn something new? If you still have questions about this subject, jump onto the forums at biggerpockets.com forum. It's like being at a 24-7 networking event without the business cards and awkward small talk. Otherwise, you know the drill. We'll have another episode waiting for you in the morning. <laughs>